Hey there. Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. This is a special episode. A special episode in which we're going to be unpacking and processing from a queer lens the aftermath of the murder of five queer people at Club Q in Colorado Springs on November 20th, 2022. The day Raymond Green Vance, Kelly Loving, Daniel Ashton, Derek Rump, and Ashley Plough were murdered. Now this podcast is all about how we can live lives with courage so that we can love the hell out of this world. And it's moments like this where mass shootings point us to the violence that queer people experience all the time, that we need that audacity to keep on loving this beautiful and broken world. My name is Reverend Sean. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers at Foothills Unitarian Church, a Unitarian Universalist church in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is just two hours north of Colorado Springs. I'm queer. That's a big part of who I am. And on Sunday morning, I woke up at about 5 a.m. because that's what time my son wakes me up every damn day. And my husband, who is laying in bed next to me, turned to me and said, did you hear about it? The shooting. And I hadn't. So I opened my phone and I started to read. Started to feel the echoes of all of the mass shootings of the past, but also the echoes of my own life. And I started thinking about Sunday. Because in just a few hours, we were supposed to do a service on how to survive Thanksgiving that had been titled Love and Chaos. It was sort of humorous, but also serious, lighthearted in a way that was supposed to give us tools to deal with the challenges of families that I know as queer people we can feel most acutely. Love and Chaos. A phrase that aptly fits what I imagine it was like that evening at Club Q. Love turned to chaos. Now, I've spent many a Saturday evening in the darkened corners and dance floors of queer bars, and I most likely would have been there had the shooting taken place in my college town when I was in college, where the bar was not called Club Q, but The Edge, another apt name, The Edge. Being queer is so often an experience of being on the edge. Edge as in the margins, edge as in the cutting edge of societal change, edge as in moving along the knife's edge, the fine line between acceptance and ridicule, love and hate, and even life and death. It's in places like Club Q, like the edge, imperfect as they are, where the margins are padded. Like a college student trying to milk out another page from an essay that is lacking the Spaces on the edge become roomier, a bit more expansive, more permissive to try queerness out in the dark, building courage and community and power to do it in the daylight. These spaces are sacred. My queer liturgy professor posted this on Facebook. Each time hate pours into our queer body full joy, I wonder if they know that they're shooting up a sanctuary. This place where God dances, where we swim in belovedness, where every turn of the head reveals a new vision of divine and a new version of home. Sometimes I wish that they would call it a church shooting because this joy we have is sacred. The world didn't give it and a gun can't take it away. And yet for five people, their lives were taken away. And the rest of us, we woke up. I woke up in my bed beside my husband. I read the news. And as I did so, my body became heavy with memory. For we've been here before. Memory of those killed before in others' attacks. Memories of the upstairs room in New Orleans, the other side lounge in Atlanta. These names also so apt. Upstairs room invokes the attic, another type of closet hidden away, but also that sacred place that Jesus met with his disciples, his non-nuclear family of kin. The other side lounge, a lesbian bar, other side as in the other side of the tracks, the other side of the Kinsey scale, 
Other side, as in come over to the dark side, we have cookies. What is in a name? Memories of Pulse. Memories of the over 66 trans and non-binary people murdered this year in this country. The over 600 murdered around the world that we know of marked on this day, trans day of remembrance. There's memories of Stonewall in this body. Memories when queer, trans, and sex workers fought back against police repression, rioting for days, for days, because they'd had enough. And according to reports, the attacker at Club Q was subdued because patrons of the bars, allies, and trans women acted up and fought back love and chaos. Chaos and love. We're faced with a society that has continued to fuel hatred against lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, intersex, asexual, two-spirit peoples. With bans of medical treatment for trans kids, with states considering classifying drag shows as adult entertainment like strip clubs, with Hallmark stars sticking to showcasing, quote, traditional marriages on new TV shows, to even a Respect for Marriage Act that doesn't even codify same-sex marriage, but would allow states, if a Burgerfeld was struck down, to ban marriages from being issued within their borders, only to having to accept marriages from others. From Congress people saying that drag queens are dangerous, that queer people are grooming children, I'm not surprised. I am not surprised that when armed, this hatred puts bullets in the bodies of queer people. I said at the beginning, if this took place in my college town, it would, I would have been there, which is true, but I also went to college in a country that has recently banned handguns and never legalized assault rifles, so I would have been there. But even if that hate had entered, the carnage would not have been the same. It's in moments like these that we lay bare the choices we have made, but the consequences that actually shouldn't be surprising to any of us. And so what do we do? When chaos strikes, the question for all of us is, how should love respond? In the wake of Don't Say Gay, our community rose up to proclaim that we wouldn't just say gay wouldn't just acknowledge trans and non-binary people, wouldn't just tolerate, wouldn't just accept. We would say, go for it. Bring your whole, true self. Whatever that looks like. And whoever and however you love. Whatever your truest expression of your gender, we were going to affirm that no matter if these things change and shift across your lifetime or even within a day that you are loved, you are beloved, be more gay, be more trans, be more queer, because it's the sum of all of these things, which is being more love. Then when violence arrives on our doorstep, our response is to not shrink down or away, to play it straight or go back in the closet, for we have always known that silence has meant death. That when chaos arrives, our calling is to be more love. That when fear or learning something new, like pronouns, are adjusting our conceptions of families, our calling is to be compassionate. When it feels like a church or organization or even our family might be becoming a bit too gay, your job is to remember that there are too many churches, too many organizations, too many schools, too many families in this country where you can't be just one bit gay. Where you can't be one bit gay. And so our job is to go overboard. Our faith, God, spirit, goddess, our deepest truths. Call us to this place with love and delight, even as we are afraid. As I walk into church every Sunday, I make peace with the fact that there could be violence there. And despite that, it is especially when we're afraid. Afraid of the other side. Afraid of what lurks in the upstairs room. Afraid when we feel the pulse quickening when we find ourselves on the edge of everything we know and love. It is here in the chaos that I remember where love is needed most. Where true charity and love dwell, God is there. Since our love has joined us in one body, let us all rejoice and be glad now and always.
is. And as we hear and love our Lord, the God of love, so let us in sincerity love all people. Where true charity and love dwell, God is there. As we are all of one body when we gather, let no discord or enmity break our oneness. May all our petty jealousies and hatred cease, that love may be with us through all our days. Where true charity and love dwell, God is there. Now we pray that with a blessed you grant us grace to see your exalted glory face to face. Our boundless source of joy and truth, of peace and love, forever and forevermore, world without end. Where true charity and love dwell, God is there. I felt really heavy these last couple days. Really heavy in processing and praying and writing. And what I realized is it's not so much this particular violence, but it's being reminded of all of the violence, past, present, and foreboding the future. And yet I've also felt a lot of love and joy in being reminded about communities that are resilient and that will take care of each other. Being reminded over and over again that it is in the acts of love and of compassion and charity, that is where we find the divine. That is where we find the true face of love in the world, just as that beautiful rendition of Ubi Caritas that Benjamin sang reminds us. I'm going to invite two people into a conversation with me as we're sitting in the days after. I'm joined by my colleague, Reverend Gretchen Haley, another one of the ministers at Foothills, and by Charlie Williamson. Charlie is a Hong UU and works at the Pride Resource Center at CSU and spoke at the rally in Fort Collins on Sunday night. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. I, my hope for this is for it to be kind of a candid and honest conversation about not only where we're at right now, what we see in the communities that we're a part of, but also the longer story of being queer. And Gretchen has a few more years on Charlie and me in that journey. A lot of people don't get to have the types of conversations we have about what it means to be queer because they don't have deep relationships with queer people or the people they know that are queer, they don't ha have the trust in the relationship to get there. And so my hope is we can have kind of that conversation in public. So I'm just going to start out and throw it out to both of you. Like, how are, how are you doing? I am slowly getting back to, I would say, an average daily anxiety level as the days go by and I, you know, hear from various people and names are released and um, sort of the aftermath as it comes day by day. I definitely am still frustrated and angry, but I'm sort of at this place where it's like, I guess life goes on again. So I'm kind of just trying to make sure that I'm still living life <laughs> and going forward again without, you know, trying to numb myself to 
the things that have happened. What about you, Gretchen? Let's just put it out there that I am coming off of a week of COVID. So um, my experience of this has been shaped by the fact that I've uh, I've been sick. I'm kind of just awakening to the world in general right now. But I have to say, I've been thinking a lot about Matthew Shepard. And when I got the news about Matthew Shepard, I was living in Boulder at the time. And the thing that, that I thought about a lot at Matthew Shepard, I was, was a lot younger, is I thought, how come y'all didn't know that this is what we deal with all the time? I was mostly pissed at the outrage and the shock that people expressed at that time because I felt like it was a reality I was deeply aware of all the time. What are we like more than 20 years later? I'm not numb to these experiences in any possible way, but I do have a sense of, of, exhaustion and weariness of the ways that people don't get that their daily unconscious throwaway comments and ways of being in the world directly lead to us being killed. It's one of the reasons that I'm in ministry that I I feel so righteous about about making claims about morality that put queerness in the place of of goodness and truth and beauty. And because there's so many voices every day that say the exact opposite and lead to our death, our terror and death. I like what you said, Charlie, of feel pretty much like I feel getting like every day. Like, I feel like, yep. Yep. That's, that's what happens. And that's a horrible place to be in um, as a baseline. I don't feel like shocked per se. I feel like I've been doing this a long time and are people still shocked? <laughs> that's just shocking. Oh, oh, have we not learned this yet? With you bringing up Matthew Shepard from Colorado, I was born in 1999, so it would have been the year after. His was a story that queer people in Colorado grew up on. And for me personally, like working at the Pride Center, whenever we give like a tour of the CSU Pride Resource Center, like we were founded almost directly after that happened because it was kind of the final push for CSU in Fort Collins in Northern Colorado to really like put that sort of at the forefront. And so it's always interesting for me after these kinds of events happen, when I'm thinking about like what we say, like, and what we do, it's sort of this almost revamp of this surprise, kind of like you're talking about with like the shockingness of folks being like, well, it happened then and then it didn't happen anymore. Like there's some weird concept that people think it stopped or that it ever stopped for mm. folks just because it became so unsurprising for people that it became, it wasn't trending anymore. It wasn't, you know, big spotlight events for folks, especially allies who don't identify within the community, not seeing it every day, that whenever it does happen, there's so many of relating back to past violence, like it used to happen. Why is it happening again when, you know, in reality, it never stopped? I think that's a big part of the heaviness that I've felt. Is that like a mass shooting has like a different emotional tenor than the preponderance of violence against queer people. You know, the vigil was also marking Trans Day of Remembrance, like 66 plus trans people, non-binary people in this country were murdered this year. And that's, that doesn't even scratch the surface 
of the amount of suicides, the amount of substance use that has like destroyed someone's life, even if they're still living, the amount of torment that queer people are going through in their day-to-day lives because of the rhetoric, because of the way our society is structured. And so like these moments like point to this, like it's like the tip of the iceberg of the violence. And it's like violence that, that breaks through consciousness, straight consciousness, in a way that these other sorts of violences and uh, just pain that our community is constantly going through, constantly living with in a way that it is normal. Charlie, you and I both spoke at the vigil that was organized in Fort Collins. It was to commemorate both Trans Day of Remembrance and also the shootings at Club Q. What was it like for you? You opened it up. You, I think, did a phenomenal job of setting the tone and reminding people why we were there. What was it like to to be there in that space to speak? And then after you answer that, I would love for you to share what you said with us. I mean, it was... It was a a comfortable experience in the sense of I am very used to public speaking. (laughs) Um, I'm a theater major. So being the idea of being in front of people or speaking wasn't something that was necessarily anxiety provoking for me. I found sort of when I was writing this desire for me to try and be like inspirational and okay, And then sort of remembering that one, that's not what it's about. And two, that wasn't how I am or was feeling. I had a lot of friends and folks that I knew pretty, pretty well that were there. I felt like I needed to be honest with myself, but also with all of those people, because I am someone that loves leadership and mentorship, and I am way too overly involved at CSU. (laughs) But the idea of me speaking about something and trying to get this positive spin and inspirational, like we're still here thing is something that I do a lot. I heard feedback that it was very, I guess, sobering or nice of a reality check for someone like me who is often speaking that way to be incredibly transparent about how upset, hopeless, angry, all of that that I was feeling. I definitely had a little bit of a aha moment myself when it came to, you know, public speaking stuff and advocacy work in general of what I'm saying mattering and how I how I say it and when I'm speaking to especially allies you know I don't have to be super positive I don't have to sort of put on this like everything's fine mentality when it's really not it's a mask right? like you don't you don't have to cater to their feelings yeah or their comfortability because it would be uncomfortable for me to stand up there and say what I did for in front of people. But, you know, obviously the comfortability and the things that I have been saying aren't working. I mean, everybody that's been, you know, doing this for ages, something has to change. And we, I feel like we have to find different areas of where it does have to change. And I think transparency is one of the big ones for experiences. Well, why don't you take it away? This is what I shared Sunday night. Hello, my name is Charlie Williamson. I use they, them pronouns, and I am a senior at Colorado State University. I am a student staff member at the CSU Pride Resource Center, as well as in student government at CSU. I grew up in Colorado, right outside of downtown Denver. I grew up attending Jefferson Unitarian Church in Golden, Colorado, and I'm a fourth-generation Unitarian Universalist. I'm 23 years old. My favorite color is purple. I have a dog named Kai and a hamster named Beatrice. I love theater, and I want to be a drama teacher when I grow up. I love to sing, I go to karaoke nights at our bar, and I love to perform in drag. My story is nowhere near over, but it very realistically could have been. I want to thank everyone for being here, although I wish we didn't have to be. This evening, we gather on the ancestral homelands of the Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute nations and peoples, because we have to be together. At our annual Trans Day of Remembrance ceremony this past week at CSU, we mourn the lives of those lost to anti-trans violence this year. Over 70 in the U.S. alone and over 390 worldwide. I speak and stand here to honor the lives lost that didn't make national news. 
the horrid crimes that are never trending on social media, and the names and stories we may never know. This day is always a difficult one for me. It's the day in which it's hardest for me to ignore the statistic that I may become. It's the day that's hardest for me to look at my queer and trans siblings of color and see them fast approaching a life expectancy that keeps going down every year. It's a day where I have no patience for the political bullshit that is endangering my very existence. It's a day that my friends know is not the time to come to me for a bright side because I won't have the energy to give one. I'm part of the generation that saw lockdown drills becoming so typical that they're triggering. Run, hide, fight became more common knowledge than stop, drop, and roll because we kids had a greater chance of being shot at in science class than catching on fire. School for me had violence, threats, and bullies, but I made it out of all of that. I made it to college and the Pride Center and my finding my own queer joy and being trans. I love being trans and I love being me, but being me could get me killed. I mentor freshmen at CSU and high schoolers here in Fort Collins. I tell them it gets better and that there is safety in the world for us, but yesterday I contemplated again if I was lying to them. I woke up Sunday morning and couldn't breathe. Were my friends in the springs that I was trying to reach still asleep, hungover, or dead? I'm here because I'm scared. I'm here because I'm angry. I'm here because where I want to be is with my community, but I can't help but wonder if gathering in a group like this would just make it easier for them to hurt more of us. I'm here because of the very real possibility that this happens again to me. I'm here because the statistics say that at 23, I've lived over half my life expectancy. I'm here because too many of my queer and trans siblings can't be. We're going to hear from many folks tonight, from youth, elders, political leaders, faith organizations. And I remind us all to center the most marginalized among us. This is not the first instance of hate in Colorado, and it will certainly not be the last. But I remind you that everything that makes us different is what makes us special. And it's only by working together that we can protect each other. We're dying. Every day, all over the world, and it won't stop. It won't slow down unless those in power step up and do something. Queer and trans people have been screaming for our entire lives for someone to protect us. Our existence is not political, and we demand action, because our stories are far from over. Yeah, that was honest. As you were speaking, I remember my own reaction as you started to talk about yourself at the beginning. Everyone sort of chuckled when you talked about your bunny Beatrice. Mm -hmm. Hamster named Beatrice. I I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Hamster, sorry. Hamster named Mm -hmm. Beatrice. I was like, where, where are you going with this? And then it kind of clicked for me is that you were, you were making yourself human, mm-hmm. ordinary, real for people. That it wasn't like Charlie Williamson trans. That was the label. And that's who you were in that mm-hmm. moment. It was Charlie, the future drama teacher with the hamster (laughs) like it just it it broke through something for me and I could feel that in the crowd because so often in these moments so many so in so many instances of violence people just become numbers we're just we're just statistics it's a it's how many people make it to a life expectancy I have really been thinking recently about the stories lost and those lives, and especially when it comes to instances of violence against queer and trans people, because so many times the stories that are published are wrong, you know, depending on mm-hmm. who who the people notified were. You know, are we bio family? Are we chosen family? You know, friends and Families of members of mine that are like, you know, if this happens to me, like what name is going to get published? Because my parents don't know. As queer people, we say that we come out over and over again. And that's true. But we also don't come out like to everyone all at once. Like it's it's a it's an unfolding that happens unevenly and and in proportion to the depth of our trust in someone and the place we're living and how safe we feel like we can be or how painful it is to not be 
ourselves. Who people think we are can really depend on how well they know us. I'm, I, like in the moments like this, I'm, I feel like I just go on Facebook now when I'm like ragey and angry and I like pop up, get angry about something queer and then disappear. And like this summer, I was really angry when court uh, allowed organizations to not cover PrEP in their health plans for religious reasons. And I realized that like, oh, straight people don't know what PrEP is. It's like life-saving medication that prevents people from getting HIV. It's, and yet it's like so common. I would say like almost a majority of my friends are on PrEP. And yet I had to explain to so many straight people what it was. Even though heterosexual men are the highest proportion of people with HIV now. Because gay people have been saving each other's lives, making sure they're getting prep. And so it's in moments like this, I just, I'm throwing a question out to all of you. What do you think straight people don't get, don't understand about being queer, about the queer experience, about moments like this? What just, what disconnects still exist? The thing that I'm drawn to, right, just thinking of right now is being queer is not entirely other, and it's also entirely other. Like, I, I there's something in that that I, I want to lift up. The way straight people relate with the queer community as if being queer is entirely alien of a human experience. I want to make a claim of it's just, it's just, it's just human and it's not, it's not so different than what you, what it means for you to exist in the world for any of us. And I want to say that. And I also want to say, and also it's entirely different than how you exist in the world. So that combination of things, I just, it's a really hard thing to convey. Makes me very upset when straight folks treat being gay as if it's an as if there's something there they can't under they can't actually understand and also they can't actually understand so that combination is the thing that i feel like really comes up for me in this moment yeah it's like the response that's like oh gay i can never understand that and then also the a corollary response of it doesn't even matter to me or I forget that you're gay. So there's both a like, it's so alien that I can't understand it or it's not even no, just discernible, noticeable or important to recognize. Yeah. Yeah, like I got texts yesterday morning from straight identified folks about me like reaching out to me and I heard somebody else say I think people said it at the rally like check on your queer friends we're not okay that kind of there's something in that that really kind of pisses me off because I think like why is it particularly painful for me why why is it not shaking you in your core that this could happen to you because you're just as freaking you think you're safe just because you right now happen to be in a heterosexual cis relationship i mean you think that's going to protect you what fixed identity has marked you as safe and thus like not touched in the same way that we are like that's just bs that you've been that you so far in your life feel like you're safe and not hurt in the same way and that somehow I am. Like, that's just, I find that very problematic. It's a compassion problem because there's a, somehow you're feeling compassion for someone else as if it doesn't hurt you in the same way. And I, I think it should. And I think we should all, I don't understand why there's a hierarchy of who's this is scaring more. I think it should scare the 
currently self-identified straight cis folks as, as much. And if it's not, then that's something to look at. Why isn't it? So that, and also, yeah, I mean, obviously why? It just confuses me because I'm like, how are other people not scared with the amount of mass shooting? Like you can't, they happen everywhere to literally everyone at different rates of like frequency. But like, no, you're not safe if you're straight. The straight people in Club Q weren't safe. Someone didn't walk into a queer space and then find the queer people. Like that's not how that works. Like. There's still this underlying default of heterosexuality and like cisgenderedness. I kind right. of joke with people now that it's queer to me unless you come out as straight. But there's something in there that really throws a lot of my straight friends off because and a lot of times they can't, you know, put a pit on it because they are very liberal ally minded people. But it's still this idea that the default is straight and that queer is something that went wrong as long as that exists as long as there's that baseline then there's always gonna be a place for hate against the other against the difference the biggest thing that tends to anger me or i feel like folks maybe not understand is that crappy like words and like insults coming from friends, family, politicians, wherever. It's not just like this is the result of letting hate speech and ignorance and giving everything like that a microphone. Like, you know, it's it's not just words like the amount of times that someone's been like, well, yeah, they just said something shitty, but like that's just their opinion. Like. There's so much of that everywhere, I feel like. And it's just people are like, well, how could this happen? It's not surprising with what people say every single day. Like literally just looking at the direct aftermath of this, I was, you know, scrolling through Instagram and a lot of the Colorado like sports teams had put a post up and the Denver Broncos had a rainbow logo and that they had a moment of silence and comment after comment after comment was this isn't important. Like, why aren't you winning? Like, I think literally one of the comments was like, why do we care that a couple of fruits couldn't run away? That's not just words that are said to the ether. That is fueling somebody somewhere and it's giving a platform to it. And I think that part of that shock comes from people not realizing the direct connection of words and hate speech with physical violence. And I think that there's some sort of disconnect there that I just want to like, like sh shake people and like, you can see this happening. And you're saying it's just words and it's not. People don't understand the impact of. And, uh, oh, well, I wasn't serious. Well, you weren't, maybe. But somebody took it that way. Someone said, great, someone's on my side. And then you have the politician that are given the platform and news and everything. And it's just, Somebody somewhere, that's their reasoning for killing people. There was a guy who stormed a pizza shop because of conspiracies on the internet that it was like a child sex trafficking ring. And uh, uh, like conspiratorial thinking is a part of the fabric of being human. But when it... it but when it is reinforced on an interpersonal level with like the types of insults that you use, the like types of othering that you maintain, and then it's reflected in the media that you watch and by politicians that you elect, I'm not surprised that this leads to people getting shot. Because when you're saying that trans people that drag queens are grooming children when you're showing up at school district meetings and saying that adults who are trying to create safe spaces for queer kids are actively harming them and forcing them to come out forcing them 
to have identities that they don't have. I'm not surprised that that leads to violence. Because people feel like they're being attacked and they're being motivated and given license by laws, you know, by rhetoric. I mean, like Lauren Boebert, congressperson from Colorado, like sends her thoughts and prayers. And, you know, one of her tweets like a few fucking months ago is like, drag queens don't come to my district. Like, that's an elected member of Congress saying that basically queer people shouldn't come to her constituency because they're a threat. Someone's going to take that seriously. Well, because they shouldn't exist. Right. It's not just a threat. It's like a, a fundamental, like whether you're a citizen or not, whether you're a human or not. Underneath this is a kind of, that rhetoric is is like a, <laughs> I mean, it it ultimately is a, it's a kind of genocide. It is a fundamental, I can't abide by the existence of queerness in my life or in my consciousness kind of mode. And so therefore, you know, people take that, they hear that. There's no, there's no coding in that. It's, it's, it's quite obvious what the intention is. So, so here's the question. Why? Why it does queerness trigger this sort of repression, this sort of reaction? There's a lot of reasons. You can't divorce it entirely from one interpretation of Christianity that's been perpetrated in the United States in particular, and the kind of fear of sexuality in the body in general. And, and mixed up in that is misogyny and patriarchy of just anything that is remotely associated with femininity or characteristics of um, the feminine. Like, it sounds kind of academic when I say it like that, but I, I, I think those are in the fabric of, of our, our country. It gets played out in very casual comments, tweets, headlines that people don't even realize what they're echoing or what they're playing out or how they're a part of that system. But I think it's a threat to all of those things. I think queerness is a threat to patriarchy and white supremacy and colonialism and capitalism. I do. I think we are a real threat to that. I mean, at least I hope we are. And so I think that uh, there's a... This, those things don't go quietly. And those things play out not in an like I said, not in an academic way, but in our bodies and in our lives. And so we represent a real threat to those things by our very existence. It's the fact that it's different. That it's that, it's the other. It's the having a choice and having a audacity to be different it's scary because it's unknown and that's something that we talk about you know all the time in a society is like what can we control and things that we can't control are scary and when you have a society that has been one way dominated by one type of person whether that's how they look whether that's how they you know dress whether that's gender whether that's ethnicity whether that's race all of that stuff it's like, as soon as something is different or challenges that, it's scary and we have to get rid of it. With queer folks, the idea that something that people thought was so biological isn't. So it's like not even just challenging what people have always known, but people get so stuck on the challenging science aspect of it when mm. it comes to like trans gender and just gender in general in that perspective nothing is safe nothing is right 
because people just come mm-hmm. through and, you know, change science and genetics and all this other stuff, which isn't the case. It's what you learn. Over I mean, time. I hope it is. I, mean, I, I hope there's a cabal of like transgender scientists trying yeah. to change this biology. Take everything. No more. <laughs> no more gender. <laughs> it's this general idea of othering and of, you know, the the audacity to be different that is like so terrifying and it's like i can understand it but i can't because i have my own control issues i don't like i'm scared of things i can't control but you know it's not someone else's existence that i'm trying to control charlie you used the word like i think audacity i think people are terrified of the audacity that queer people display to choose. It is terrifying to look at the received categorizations of of bodies and body stories and body surfaces and other bodies and the relationships that you have and to say, I'm going to choose because queer people choose. We choose to live our lives. That we're going to choose to navigate that in a way that is non-normative and to find joy and freedom and liberation in there. I think that is terrifying because my inner sense is that the comfort of those boxes and stories about bodies and about genders and sexualities, all of that is just anxiety, like manifest. And that actually everyone is queer because gender doesn't make sense. And sexuality is so complex. And that none of these stories that we have in our society about any of it can, can really hold water in a real and meaningful way. Even the biological stories we have. To give up that that confidence of these boxes and these stories and have the audacity to live through it is terrifying. And it's terrifying not just because other people are doing it, because people can live and let live a lot of things. But for queer people, there's something different about it. I think it's because there's something in them that's telling them that these things aren't real, that they think are. Mm-hmm. And, and to live with that is just so unsettling. But they need to stamp it out in the laws and in schools and in stories and how they raise their kids and even violently because it's unsettling something in them. It's it's troubling the construct. It's bringing attention to the the construct of it all. Blurring the lines makes the lines more obviously made up. Yeah, I think that's right. And which isn't to say like, I love make made up. I love make belief. Like I, I'm coming to the belief that that gender doesn't make sense as a thing. Like yeah. it just as it as a thing, it doesn't make sense. I don't I don't believe in gender. I'm coming to. That doesn't mean that I want to disqualify everyone's genders. It just means that like we should have the freedom and liberation to be gendered in the way we want to be gendered and that that should be a story that we choose for ourselves and, and not a story that's imposed on us. And yeah. that's where and- like cis, which I also am not believing in anymore. <laughs> people that you too have a complex queer gender. If you'll yeah. acknowledge it, if you'll let it be there, it's there. It's that little voice. In your closet. Okay. Sean, with that, I don't yeah. know if you have a place you want to go to, but I, like, as we're mm-hmm. kind of starting to wrap up, but I yeah. I wanted to kind of turn to you, ask you a question. Okay. Which is, you too spoke at, at the end of the vigil rally thing, thing. Sunday night, and you were, the, you were the end speaker, so Charlie started it off and then you finished. And you're, you brought us to a particular place 
And I just wondered if you'd want to share a little bit about why you felt like you wanted to end there and what you you talked about. Just give it away. You talked about queer joy. Um, And I wondered if you wanted to just share a little bit about queer joy and how what that means to you in this particular moment and what it felt like for you to speak at the vigil, you know, other than cold. I think you said a lot of things in your prayer that at least I haven't said as a public, as a minister in the public oh, you noticed square. that. <laughs> and so I just wondered if you wanted to reflect a little bit on that and what, what you lifted up there and what I was like, hell yeah. yeah. It's so cool. I yeah. was like, right. I'm like yeah. is he like that at church? And I'm like, yeah, mostly. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> I mean, there were a few things that you pushed a little bit, but I I knew what you were doing. But I just think like there was some there was some things there that read in a certain way to those of us who are queer that I just I wondered if you wanted to share a little bit about that. Where to begin? You know, as we've learned about how the gunman in the club was taken down by this mysterious ally dude and trans woman with her high heels. I keep coming back to, this is a queer realization that we have over and over again, is that no one is going to take care of us other than us. And we can broaden that to to be our really active allies, but like no one is going to do that other than us. And I was feeling and still feel actually quite hopeless about a lot of the violence that we've talked about. I don't, I'm not, I'm not one of those that's like, you need to have hope that things will get better. That's not my theology. (laughs) Hope for me is always a verb. Hope is an action. It's a, it's a lot we cast with the future we want to create. And the future that I want to create with all y'all is one that centers a queer joy that we don't just gather and we don't just talk about death and destruction and pain is that we remember that the reason we're doing this is because when we bring authenticity and when we bring our particularly sometimes like quote unquote perverted deviant subversive selves to the table and when we live in that place without shame it it evokes a deep joy because it is good being more gay being more trans being more queer the sum of these is being more love i believe that deeply i wanted people to leave the space remembering that The story of violence is just one of the stories. Because there's another story, which is the joy that we have in these small and these big moments when we get to live into ourselves. And as I was going through and kind of writing the prayer, which I'll probably share in a little minute, I realized that I wanted to get particular about some of that. And as I was writing it, uh, and this is probably your question, there were these moments where I was like, oh, am I going to say these things? Are, are these, these things that I know about our community, that I know about myself in some ways? Like, am I going to speak particularly to things that I know bring people this queer joy and name it in a public way to like say, hey, I see that. I took one of my foster sons to a furry convention in Wyoming a couple months ago and like talk about queer joy. And so to name like furries in that space, because it was the number one thing on his list of things he wanted to do because he has been a self-identified furry since he was like eight. For me, it was like, that was, if I was to name all of the queer joy I've seen in the last few months, that was like probably number one there. And yet like, like talk about like scorned, made fun of, not really wanted to take them seriously. Also, a bunch of you are probably now Googling furries. So have fun with that. Sometimes these rallies can feel about like they're about straight people, straight people showing up and being good allies and feeling good about themselves. And I wanted to turn that and say like, hey, queer people, I see you. I see your lives. 
And I want to name that the things that are going on in you are actually kind of beautiful. I just want queer people to feel seen. What and and to lift up just some of the ways in which the joy that they experience, that we experience, is hidden and and can't be brought to light in public ways. And it felt it felt risky to do it in that particular way because naming particularities raises questions about you. It raises questions about oh, do you really think that's okay? How how far outside the heteronorm? Can you get and still be accepted, be celebrated? But felt really good. I got a yeah, lot of I mean, joy out of it. You and I had one exchange a while back of where we were talking about some of this. I think it was when you were after gay Jesus rage posting about oh yeah about <laughs> prep about prep where we you know just acknowledge come up with this this campaign this slogan of be more gay. And we just want to be cautious not to be like, be more gay, except not about sex. Yeah. And because sex needs to be part of the conversation, it shouldn't be like, be more gay, <laughs> but never talk about sex or sexuality. Like, that's, that's not the point. And I... Be more gay, but not crude. At a certain point, pride stopped being like, <laughs> dykes on bikes and... Um, leather daddies on like with chaps <laughs> like that to then instead being like Coors floats and U.S. bank signs and churches and um, you know like I think well, it's like we wanted a, to make pride like family friendly family friendly or whatever but like why you know families include I think like this is part of our our um you know, Unitarian Universalist stance that that families include lifelong sexuality and sexual orientation and that like that that's a part of our conversation and it, it doesn't make it unsafe to include things that are sexual necessary. Right. It's not inappropriate. I, I mean, that was as I was writing it, I was like, OK, I'm going to like name like leather harnesses. What are the things I said? Yeah, and I was like, OK, I know kids are going to be there. Like, how can we say this in a way that's appropriate for a kid that a parent can explain, oh, sometimes people like to put on, like, a leather harness. And, like, that's, like, innocuous. Like, it's, like, some people put on dresses. Some people put on bracelets. Some people put on leather harnesses. Like, you can tell that to a child, and it makes them feel good. But then for people who are, that's a part of their sexual practice, it's like, oh, they see me. And they know the story behind it. So it's like, it's appropriate. And yet, yeah, you know, edgy, maybe, sadly. Yeah, mostly like what I was aware of is that these are, these are things we talk about in queer spaces and it was a primarily straight space, I'd imagine. I mean, maybe I wasn't there, but I, you know, like it's, it's it probably like 50, 50 maybe. Yeah. But that's, um, you know, you were not, you weren't playing the game, yeah. which is in the straight space. We, we talk straight. And right. um, I really appreciated that. I thought it was just really vulnerable, important. And especially on a night when we're talking about the, how, how vulnerable we are being queer. And to put that in the middle of Old Town Fort Collins is important well thanks and i'll thank both of you <clears throat> for being in this conversation i always appreciate times where we can sit down around the metaphorical queer <laughs> campfire and just chat and talk and hopefully we've given our heterosexual straight viewers uh, a few things to ponder a few things to google <laughs> um and a sense of how they how they might fit into this into this world, you know, within themselves, um, and also in their actions. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me into this conversation. <laughs> it's great to have you. So I'm going to share with you what I said to that crowd after about twelve speakers, some amazing young queer people, some politicians that are always a mixed bag. 
I'm going to share what I said, and it truly is what I believe. My name is Reverend Sean Neil Barron, and despite all the hate I've received in my life and the violence that we've witnessed, every day I thank God that I am queer. Every damn day. And so as we leave this time of righteous anger, of deep grief and mourning and community solidarity and commitment, I want to center us on what is the fuel for the movement forward, queer joy. Now I'm a praying person, so I'm going to pray. And I know some of y'all might not be praying people, which I get. Prayer has been used as a weapon trying to pray our gay away, but not this one. This is a prayer for us to be more gay to be more trans, to be more queer, because the sum of all of these things is being more love, which is exactly what this beautiful but broken world needs. So will you pray with me? Spirit of life, that great rainbow of love that calls each and every one of us queerly beloved, violence has arrived on our doorstep, and we could shrink down could decide to be less of ourselves, could try to play it straight, could go back into the closet. But spirit, you, you have taught us that silence has always met death, and so here we gather, not silent, to claim what is our ancestral right, joy, queer joy. Now, queer joy is coming out to yourself and your truth for the first time, for the hundredth time. Queer joy is drag queens voguing at night and reading stories to children the next morning. Queer joy is the gender euphoria of putting on a binder for the first time and gender-affirming healthcare of being asked for your pronouns at the doctor and them using your true name. Queer joy is the liberation of choosing a family that affirms your whole being, not just part of it. Queer joy is kinky, dresses up in leather harnesses and fursuits. Queer joy is everyday acts, doing laundry in mom jeans for a family you never thought you'd have. Queer joy is young folks stepping up to the mic to speak truth and a new generation expanding the gender horizon. Queer joy is kitchen table polyamory and relationship anarchy expanding what it means to love. Queer joy is the freedom to say yes to bodily pleasure without shame or explanation. Queer joy is being your whole, full, unabashed, unapologetic, uncensored self. Queer joy is genders that expand beyond expectations. Queer joy is love that doesn't color in the lines. Queer joy is seeing each other, really seeing each other, and loving each other without question. Queer joy is knowing the only thing we are grooming here is compassion. Now, spirit, the sheer glittery power of queer joy that is proclaimed on dance floors and PTA meetings is terrifying to those who need the world to be contained ordinary and straight. But spirit, we know that love, love can never be contained, can never be orderly, and love can never be straight or stagnant. And we, we are called to be more love. Amen. Amen and blessed be. There's this great picture of all of the staff that were present on Sunday up on the chancel and they're all wearing their Be More Gay t-shirts. Be More Gay is a campaign, is a movement that we are starting in the wake of all of the anti-LGBTQ legislation, rhetoric, and violence that we've seen that we need to be at the forefront of proclaiming the belovedness, the belovedness of each and every one of us. And that it isn't just a time for us to not say gay. And it's not even good enough to just say it. We need to be more of it. And so we've created these awesome t-shirts. I'm wearing one now in rainbow colors. It says, be more gay on the front. We also have this amazing design from a artist within our community. This progressive rainbow flag cat with amazing mane and cat ears tail and some wings by willow sedam we have signs that you can put up that say be more gay be more trans be more love be more you and we have stickers that say the same thing and you can get any of these on our store which is bemorelove.org so if you want to be a part of this movement 
you can get involved in all of the funds that we're raising from Be More Gay are supporting this ministry. And there's some really tangible things that we're doing with it. One of the things we're doing is we've launched True You, which is a safe, supportive group for gender-expansive, gender-fluid, trans, non-binary kids and their families in northern Colorado. We are supporting the amazing work of bringing sexuality education to southern Wyoming and the eastern slope of Colorado because we know that good sexual education saves lives. So if you want to be a part of the movement, you can get your swag or you could donate at two foothills at foothillsuu.org slash give supporting our ministry work in the world to be more gay, to allow people to truly be themselves and to keep on doing the work that celebrates love in all its forms. Take care of yourselves. This is hard work. Remember the joy in it because there's so much and there's so much we can do when we're together.